why would God send a prophet to a city far away from Israel? And why would that prophet resist the Lord's call? Find out on The Bible Brief. Tell a friend about The Bible Brief today. Your recommendation can help your friends learn the Bible in a new way. Tap share on your podcast player and share your favorite episode. From the book of Jonah. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea as to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. It's been a hundred years since the rise of Jehu in Israel and the demise of the wicked queen Athaliah in Judah. A hundred years since the fall of Amri's dynasty in the northern kingdom of Israel. And since then, the region has been in disarray. Amri's dynasty had provided some stability to Israel's rule within the Near East. But with Amri's family decimated by the usurper Jehu, opportunity abounded in the region. Neighboring Syria began to flex its muscles militarily, and powers further to the northeast continued to wax and wane as the seeds of an empire began to germinate. Egypt was weak and disunified. Edom was an independent force, and Philistia continued to be a thorn in the side of the Israelites. Alliances were forged and then forgotten, and the hundred years of the dynasty of Jehu was marked with the same sorts of sins as Jeroboam from the very beginning of the northern kingdom. In fact, this was so much the case that the longest reigning king in Jehu's dynasty was also named Jeroboam. Jeroboam II, who reigned 41 years over the kingdom. It was under Jeroboam that the instability of the northern kingdom was stabled to a more powerful force in the region once again. Despite him repeating the sins of his fathers, God still allowed his kingdom to prosper for his time. He recaptured many areas east of the Jordan River, and he restored areas to the kingdom that hadn't been held since the days of Solomon. God used even this wicked king to preserve the northern kingdom. Jeroboam II reigned and succeeded. It's during his reign, however, that we find one of the most enigmatic prophets in all the Bible. A prophet who, despite being commissioned by God, runs from him. Runs because of his own fear. Not fear of God's judgment, but fear of his mercy. Jonah is the prophet who ran from God. (laughs) 
It's odd to think that Jonah could be sleeping in such a moment of crisis. The boat was tossing in such a violent manner that everyone above deck was fearing for their very lives. They were tossing things overboard, crying out in prayers to their gods, hoping that somehow they could survive this awful storm and return to their loved ones. But somehow, Jonah was sleeping. Perhaps it was a sleep born from mental and emotional exhaustion. After all, he was running from God. God had told him to go 500 miles northeast of Israel to the city of Nineveh, and God told him to call out against the city for its evil. But what did Jonah do? He chose to go the other direction. He was in a boat headed to Tarshish in modern Spain, 2,000 miles in the opposite direction of Nineveh. Jonah was going as far as he could go from following God's instructions. And surely, he was exhausted from the effort and strain of his disobedience. Yet he's soon shaken awake by the ship captain who says words that must have struck Jonah to the bone. Just as God had said, Arise, call out to Nineveh. Here the captain was saying, Arise, call out to your God. It was as if God was reminding Jonah of his sin in running in the very moment that he's awakened from his slumber. Jonah was probably struck, but apparently he didn't yet realize the cause of the storm. We read, And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell to Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation, and where did you come from? What is your country, and of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear Yahweh, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord, because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. The crew and other passengers are frantic at this point, trying to come up with a solution. They now know that Jonah has disobeyed Yahweh, and that Yahweh is likely the one who sent this storm upon the raging seas. Jonah still hasn't called out to the Lord, and he hasn't made any moves to demonstrate repentance for his running away. Surely the crew isn't ready for Jonah's next suggestion. He says to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you, for I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Yahweh, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. In a move so characteristic of Yahweh, he apparently turns the people on the boat into believers in himself through the disobedience of his prophet. After sending Jonah overboard to assure death, the crew members demonstrate fear of the Lord, vow to him, and sacrifice to him. Even when Jonah is fleeing, God's using this prophet to accomplish his purposes. 
Jonah was now in the water, engulfed by the billowing waves, then wrapped by the weeds of the sea. He was being pulled into the dark blue of the deep, and death enveloped him. But that wasn't the end for Jonah, because Yahweh appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. When he arrived in the belly of the fish, he soon began to recover from the dreadful experience in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea. He had been on the threshold of death and may have even crossed over it, but now he was in the belly of a fish. Instead of Nineveh, he was under the ocean in a giant sea creature. This had God's hand all over it. The Lord of all things was the Lord of this fish too. Finally, Jonah prays this to Yahweh, his first words to God since the opening of the book of Jonah. I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol, the place of the dead, I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight. Yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head. At the roots of the mountains, I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fading away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you in your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Jonah's prayer of thankfulness is brimming with praise at God's gift of life to him. Even in the midst of Jonah's obstinate refusal to God to go to Nineveh, and perhaps his initial desire to even die at sea rather than obey God, even despite all this, God answers Jonah's final prayer, a prayer for salvation from the midst of the sea, a prayer in which Jonah likely vowed to finally go to Nineveh. With God's salvation from the sea, he would finally live according to God's call on him. So the fish brings him to the shore and empties him onto it. Jonah has his second chance at life, a second chance to obey God. Now we have to ask, why is it that Jonah is so resistant to go to Nineveh? He hasn't had any issue going to the king of Israel to announce God's words. He's apparently had little issue with being a prophet before this point. But Nineveh is a sticking point for Jonah. Why doesn't he want to go? This was a city many miles away from Israel, and only occasionally involved in Israel's history. There had been some conflict, sure, but Jonah had little reason for not wanting to go. They were a wicked city, so wicked that God apparently was about to do something about it. Yet Jonah, for all this, didn't want to go announce God's judgment. Why? 
Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Jonah finally arrives in Nineveh, and after all this traveling, he says only a few words as he walks throughout the city. He says, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. He doesn't say, Turn from your wickedness, or God is angry at your sin. He just has a simple message of impending judgment. And yet, the reaction to the prophet's words is, in a word, shocking. We read, The people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. Rather than run God's prophet Jonah out of town, these wicked people immediately begin mourning their sin. They begin a great fast from the king to the peasants and begin repenting of their sins against God. This amazing reaction is what any missionary or prophet would dream of. The people listened, and they immediately changed their behavior. The king of Nineveh even says this, Who knows? God may turn and relent, and turn from his fierce anger, so that we may not perish. And you might be able to guess what happens next. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he said he would do to them, and he did not do it. Jonah's ministry was a success in the city, and God didn't bring a disaster upon Nineveh. The prophet's words were effective, and now he could go home. Surely Jonah was overjoyed. Right? Well, no. Because next we read this. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? This is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Now we know the answer to our question. Jonah didn't fear the people of Nineveh. He feared that God would have compassion on them if they repented. Jonah so desired the judgment on the city that he resisted being an agent of mercy, even to the point of heading in the opposite direction. Jonah desired the death of the wicked, while God wanted to give opportunity for mercy. Jonah wanted to see punishment. God desired a dispensation of compassion. Jonah was happy to have God's salvation from the depths of the sea, and he was so thankful as he experienced the kindness of God upon his rebellious prophet. But when it came to extending the same kindness to Nineveh, Jonah pouted, even desiring his own death rather than to see God's mercy given to the city. Jonah seems so petty and selfish. But lest we point our fingers, can't we be this way too? 
Can't we enjoy all the benefits of salvation through Jesus and yet be resistant to share them with others? The wicked are easy to hate and much harder to love. Yet God's character is to take the higher road. God loves his enemies, and his character is to offer salvation even to the most wicked, both to a wicked city, and as it turns out, to a wicked prophet who is so self-centered and vengeful as to be swallowed up by his anger. To be godly isn't merely to be saved by God, but also to be conformed to God's character, to love those who don't deserve it, to feed your hungry enemy, to offer another chance to the person who needs it. God's justice is real, but before his final judgment, mercy is offered time and time again. Will you be like Jonah or will you be like God? Join us next time as the city of Nineveh becomes the capital of an empire. An empire used by God as his final judgment upon the kingdom of Israel. The Bible Brief is brought to you by the Bible Literacy Foundation, dedicated to helping people like you learn the Bible. Copyright Bible Literacy Foundation 2023